Welcome to Stepping Off Now, a podcast about how to live your creative best life. If you're feeling creatively stuck, burned out, or like you're not fulfilling your true creative potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Kendra, a social scientist and writer. I spent decades feeling creatively unfulfilled while I pursued conventional life goals, culminating in severe burnout that took years to recover from. This podcast chronicles my journey in real time as I find my way home to my essential creative self and seek to live my own creative best life. I discuss topics like harnessing the intuitive creative process, using creativity to manage mental health, and sorting through all the external pressures and expectations to figure out what you really want. My hope is that you'll find inspiration and solace here. You are not alone and you are stronger and wiser than you know. You can find out more by visiting my website, KendraPatterson.com. Now, on to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Stepping Off Now podcast. I'm Kendra. If you hear some panting, it's not me. It's my puppy. (laughs) He just got back from his walk, and for some reason after his walk, he goes kind of crazy and rushes around the house, and I chase him for a little while, and... Now he's really tired out, but he wanted to hang out with me (laughs) in my recording room slash guest bedroom. I want to start off by thanking those of you who've left reviews for me in the last few weeks. I've been asking people to do that so I could get some updated reviews, and I read them this week and honestly got tears in my eyes. They're incredible. (laughs) You, You really came through for me, and I was so touched. And this week was kind of a tough one for me. And they definitely cheered me up. If you've written a review on a different platform than Apple Podcasts, I haven't had a chance to go take a look at those yet. So this week was tax week here in the United States. And it is a horrible time of year for me, (laughs) because I hate dealing with anything having to do with money. And I always put off doing taxes until like the last day. The deadline was April 18 this year. And because I'm a freelancer, taxes don't get withheld, so I always have a big bill to pay in April. It's just stressful all around, and that type of stuff tends to exhaust me. I don't have a lot of stamina anymore for stressful things since experiencing burnout, but sometimes you just can't avoid the stressful things. That's the way life goes. Speaking of stressful things... I wanted to talk today about two different things that on the face of it seem to have nothing to do with each other. One of them is my growing awareness of negativity and pessimism around me. And I don't mean this necessarily in terms of the people in my life. I mean it more so in general. People, at least in my country, really do seem to be experiencing heightened levels of all kinds of what we view as negative emotions, fear, depression, anxiety, and there seems to be a weight or a pall hanging over everyone. Now, I, I want to say that it's really difficult to make judgments about this kind of thing as to whether or not it is really true that people are feeling more fearful and pessimistic, or if it's only just that I'm becoming more aware of it for whatever reasons. I tend to hang out on Reddit a lot. There are a few forums there that are super informative about stuff that I'm going through in my own life. But, you know, (laughs) Reddit's kind of known for being a little contentious, and 
there are a lot of people on Reddit who have extremely complainy, reactive attitudes about things. And when you read stuff like that, that seeps into you. So that could also be influencing me as well in this growing feeling I have about increasing pessimism and negativity. But I do think that there is probably some truth to what I'm noticing. And it's not surprising, considering all of the enormous challenges that we are dealing with here in the United States, that we are dealing with globally, the political situation, the economic situation, the cultural shift we're going through, which is always very stressful. Times of change always are. The polarization we're experiencing politically here in the United States, which is part of the way that our particular type of political system works, having studied this for my PhD in political science. So my perspective is a little bit different about the influences and process that we're going through right now, maybe, than the average person's, but still very disconcerting to live through times such as these. And we also have all of the recent conversations around technology and AI. So we're kind of entering a new era, much like the digital era that we entered in the 90s that I was a young person for, and that caused a tremendous shift in our way of life. Many jobs were lost, many new jobs were created. Same thing happening right now with AI. There just seems to be increasing uncertainty and a feeling of things kind of falling apart. So that's the first thing that's on my mind this morning that I want to talk about. And don't worry, I'm not going to get political. I'm going to be talking about this growing feeling of pessimism and negativity. And the second thing is a piece of land art out in Utah on the edge of the Great Salt Lake. It's called the Spiral Jetty. And it was created around 1970 by an artist named Robert Smithson, who sadly died in a plane crash just a few years later at the age of 35 in 1973. So we're talking (laughs) way back in the dawn of history. Before I was even born, this guy was creating a huge piece of art, and I will put a link to an article in the show notes that you almost can't see unless you're above it. But it's a piece of art, of course, because it's like a very large installation that's meant to be interacted with. And as I read this article about the spiral jetty, but really more about this artist and his particular perspective of what art is and what the relationship between art and human beings and the inevitable ugliness that human beings visit upon the face of the earth, I started to feel that there was a connection here between this odd and mostly forgotten piece of art out in the strange Utah lake slash desert, this sort of alien world that doesn't exist anywhere else, and my struggle around this negativity and pessimism that I'm becoming increasingly aware of and how much I should be participating in that myself. So let me tell you a little bit about the spiral jetty. This is, as the name implies, a jetty made out of rocks in the shape of a counterclockwise spiral. It's considered the most important work of art by the American sculptor Robert Smithson, who not only created this work of art, or rather he paid some people to do it (laughs) because it's enormous and far more than one person can handle, Uh, he paid them to 
build it on 10 acres that he leased for $100 in 1970. But Robert Smithson also filmed the process of making it, and that was part of the art project. Robert Smithson's work, in particular this piece of work, was part of a land art movement that sprung up around that time in the 60s and 70s. But it's also loosely a part of a larger art movement called process art, which sees art not as a product, but as the process of creating that product. And if this sounds familiar, it's because this is how I view art. I've done a lot of different episodes around this idea of sharing your process, not your product, focusing on your process as what the art is. The doing of the art is the art. And most recently, I talked about this in relationship to AI. I talked about how, you know, within a short time, AI is going to be able to write novels that people may very well may want to read more <laughs> than human-created novels, and how I'm mostly okay with that, because for me, the art is located in the process, and that's what I seek to do here on this podcast is to share that process, to share what the creative life looks like, which is it looks like process. I'm going to talk a little bit more about process art in a moment when I tie everything together, but just a little bit more about the spiral jetty. When he built this, the Great Salt Lake was experiencing somewhat lower water levels. Throughout the 60s, it receded a bit, but after he built it in the 70s and 80s, water levels reached an all-time high and submerged the structure. So for almost two decades, it was hidden underwater for the most part. But then the lake began to dry up again. As we know, this has been an issue out in the West for many bodies of water. We are experiencing historic drought levels, or at least we have been. Some of the recent weather in California has ameliorated some of that. But anyway, the Great Salt Lake receded and revealed the jetty again. And in fact, now the jetty is located on dry land. It doesn't have any water around it at all, which you can see in the pictures included in this article that I'm linking in the show notes. And something you may also see if you look at these pictures is that the jetty doesn't really look like a very good jetty. It's all tumbled down. The rocks aren't piled up on each other anymore. And while it still maintains its spiral shape quite well, it's not something you can walk along you can kind of maybe pick your way through the rocks, or you could just walk alongside it. And to get an idea of the size of the jetty, there is a photograph of some people lying on the ground, kind of starfish style, towards the center of the spiral. And they're quite small. So this is a huge, huge piece of art. So my first thought when I was looking at these photographs was that this is the ruins of a piece of artwork. The artist himself is dead. Barely anyone knows this even exists. It probably gets few visitors. It's definitely not a Utah destination <laughs> for those interested in vi visiting the state. And it's a place that, if you were to visit Utah, probably wouldn't be on the top of your list, even if you do know about it. But as I examined the photographs and read this amazing article, which is written by a woman named Elaine Jarvik, I started to change my mind about this being a kind of sad, ruined, forgotten art sculpture that 
no longer really means anything. I think that the artist would disagree with me, Robert Smithson. I think that he would say that this is exactly what he intended all along, not this exact outcome, but this process of entropy, which was one of his obsessions, this theme of entropy. This was or is the art in motion, continuing to live on. Because remember, when he made it, he filmed the process of its construction. And that was part of the installation is this film of the process of making it. It wasn't necessarily something that he intended to be a destination. It's it's kind of an awkward piece of art. It's difficult to get to. There isn't even a paved road to it. When you get there, you can't really see the whole thing unless you're standing on the hillside above. But if you go down into it, you lose sight of its form through engagement and its function. It's a challenging piece of art that requires you to understand it in multiple ways at different levels, and importantly, through time. And interestingly enough, the shape of the spiral recalls one conceptualization of time. And the fact that he built it in a counterclockwise way, I think is significant. In my researches on Robert Smithson, which admittedly haven't been exhaustive, and I plan to do a little bit more on him and process art and ephemeral art for my Patreon episode this month. It's my impression that he had a very particular and, in my opinion, rare perspective of the relationship that human beings have with their environment, and in particular, their physical environment of the natural world, and what that has to do with art. He saw art in many of the things that most of us would consider ugliness or badness that human beings create in the world. For example, industrial ruins, or originally, I think, in this area where he built the sculpture, there were large pieces of trash, which tend to accumulate wherever there are humans. Things like rusted out cars and that kind of stuff. He seemed to feel that these interruptions to the natural landscape were in fact a type of art, an art that has to do with entropy. A simple definition of entropy is that disorder increases over time. And human beings want to stop that. I have a friend who once told me that he views his job in the world as fighting against entropy as much as he can every day, which at the time seemed profound to me. But now I'm not so sure. The feeling of everything falling apart or this fall towards increasing disorder that many people are feeling right now that's manifesting in this negativity, this pessimism, is something that we as human beings find profoundly uncomfortable. We find it as uncomfortable as it is unavoidable because our lives are ruled by entropy. And the ultimate manifestation of that is our own aging and eventual deaths. But Smithson embraced this. He saw this as a fundamental part of art. And he also saw art as something that was bigger than himself. So even though he has since passed, if he were still alive, he probably would have been observing the fate of his spiral jetty all of these years and would view 
the processes of time passing of entropy on the jetty, on the landscape, on the amount of visitors who come or don't come, and the ways that they're able to interact with the sculpture, depending on whether it's submerged or not, he would have seen all of that as part of the art. This strikes me as an extraordinarily gentle and even kind way of perceiving art. He could be upset that the Great Salt Lake was so rude as to have its levels rise and submerge the sculpture, or he could have despaired at time causing the jetty to fall apart and sink into the sand, but he wouldn't have felt that way, most likely. He would have had a very forgiving attitude about the ravages of time and the ways that nature, human beings, and our interactions together can affect change that goes against expectation or causes less than optimal, in quotes, outcomes that creates uncertainty and the resulting fear or disappointment that human beings feel in the face of entropy, in the face of change. When I think about my own personal reaction to the negativity and pessimism of our age and the fear associated with it, I tend to, just because of my own personal perspective on things, I tend to see this most often manifesting as unkindness. You see that in the polarization we're experiencing here in the United States. You see this in the way that anxiety is causing people to have little patience with each other or to condemn others. You see this in the suspicion with which people view each other. And I'm not saying that any of these feelings aren't real and aren't legitimate. But that's the aspect that is particularly painful for me, because I have to fight very hard not to see the world as a cruel place, because I'm a highly sensitive person. And part of how I deal with all of this is, well, first and foremost, through being analytical about it, using the skills and knowledge I've gained from my PhD to have a broader, deeper, but also view from above type of perspective. But another way that I deal with it is that I tend to disagree that a lot of what we are going through and witnessing is all negative. I'm not saying it's not negative. So I'm not saying that people who see it that way are wrong. I'm just saying that personally, my own perspective is more like Smithson's. I found myself really resonating with the gentleness and generosity and kindness, the forgivingness of his perspective about the processes of entropy and how he views what is typically seen as damage or harm or ugliness that human beings create in the world and visit upon the natural landscape in particular. My family is originally from out west. My father grew up in Montana, my mother in Washington State, and I spent a lot of time as a child camping out west and skiing out there in the wintertime. So even though I grew up on the East Coast in Delaware, I still feel that I am partly from that region of the country. And I think one of the reasons that my family originally made its way out to that part of the country, because if you go far enough back in my family tree, you'll see that my ancestors 
were originally, originally from the Northeast up around Connecticut, there's a very strong feeling of wanting to get away from people and the havoc they wreak (laughs) in my family line that persists to this day. So I was raised with this feeling of wanting to get away from human beings, wanting to get out into that landscape of absence of human beings. And this perspective that any kind of alteration human beings make to the landscape is somehow tainted, that we ruin things, not enhance things, that there's the natural world, and then there's the human world. And those two sides are often at odds. But even as a child, I rebelled against this. I can remember once being in the car, very young child sitting in the back seat on a highway, looking out at all the cars and composing in my head a poem about the beauty of the highway (laughs) and how the cars seemed to be dancing together as they switched back and forth to different lanes and the sunlight flashing and sparkling off all that metal. And I knew, I understood at that time that I was going against a deeply ingrained way of viewing the world that not only my family had, but the world in general often seemed to have. That the things created by human beings are largely ugly and harmful. And art would seem to be something that would counteract that. Art is a way of organizing ideas, visual elements, words. So organizing is this fight against entropy that us humans feel a deep-seated need to do that creates beauty. Art is an attempt to create something beautiful rather than something ugly and harmful. Of course, that's not everyone's perspective of art, but generally speaking, that's the role that we often see art as playing. But as a small child, when I looked out at, you know, all of these polluting machines that had the capacity to kill that we spend so much of our time in every day, I wanted to, I struggled to, and I did see the strange beauty in the ugliness. And I feel that that's what Smithson was trying to do as well, in some part. So what ties these two things together, my increasing awareness of this negativity and pessimism, and the spiral jetty, I think ultimately, is this idea that there's beauty in process, even when it's entropic, and that maybe we focus on the wrong things. The spiral jetty wasn't about the jetty. It was about the idea, the inspiration, the process of making it, but mostly it's about the way time and interruption and entropy acted upon it and continues to act upon it. And that if we soften our perspective, if we open ourselves to that, if we try to move past this fear that arises in us when we witness what seems to be a devastation, we can find a kinder, gentler way of viewing those processes of change over time and all the challenges associated with that in a way that makes it easier for us ultimately to survive and thrive. And that is the role of art, to somehow ameliorate the conditions of our existence by altering our perspectives, by changing, even in small ways, how we experience the world. 
I want to give a special shout out to the friend who sent me this beautiful article. Thank you, Matthew, for the inspiration. Again, I'll link this article in the show notes. I highly recommend reading it. I think that you'll find it as inspiring as I did. The author, Elaine Jarvik, is not only a journalist, but a playwright. And so her perspective is a lovely mix and multidisciplinary, which is just what I love because it brings nuance to the subject. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Please recommend this podcast to anyone you think may enjoy it, may find it interesting, may need to hear what I have to say. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I'll see you back here next Friday. Bye.